Let's pray. Father, we come to you rejoicing to come to you, to come to your word. And we ask you to fill us with your spirit. Bring us to the delights of your word. And help us to submit to you and to your announcement of truth in your word. I pray that this word and the sermon may be yours and not mine. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. May be seated. In the uh, 13 years that I've been preaching at <clears throat> St. Andrews, I, uh, I think I probably more than any other thing I've said at the beginning of the sermon is a funny thing happened on the way to the sermon. Uh, this, this week I was delighted to, to see that the passage available in the uh, lectionary for the feast uh, on January 1st included Romans 8. Now, if you look, it doesn't. Uh, it, it includes Psalm 8 and, and Romans 1. Um, but 30 and a half years ago, I memorized most of Romans 8 for something at church, and I've loved it as one of the greatest passages in the whole of the Bible. And I was very excited because I had, in all this time, never, ever preached on Romans 8. And I thought, what a great opportunity. So I really threw myself at it. And uh, on Friday, I found out it wasn't one of the passages. <laughs> so I started over. Um, but uh, let me tell you, since you're not going to hear that sermon, it was a great sermon. <laughs> um, and you can't, you can't verify that that's not true, so... I wrestled over how to deal with Romans 1, which I also love, Romans 1, 1 to 7. Um, uh, let, let, me, let me read it quickly to you. It's a short passage. We just read it, but I want to read it while you know that it's about to be the sermon. It's a peculiar passage because it refers to the gospel. Uh, the only time we hear the phrase... In the, in the Bible, we hear the phrase, the gospel of God, as opposed to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to those who are in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, I, uh, I, spent, uh, I spent that, I spent uh, what time I had free on Friday wrestling over this and in the middle of the night and uh, Early in the morning, which I, I did not sleep well on Friday night, I, I had three words, four words come into my head 
out of nowhere at 5.30 in the morning. Um, and those words were most magnanimous of captains. Now, it's not like I'd, I know where these words come from. So it wasn't like they came from nowhere. But I, I heard them in my head and I got up out of bed and I went to go read where I knew it came from. And it, it felt so fitting with the question in Romans 1 about the authority of the king. That I, I want to, to read you the section it comes out of. Um, but let, let me first talk about the authority of the king in this chapter. In this little section, seven verses, mentions God on his own, not specifying God the Father. Um, I mean, just saying God, I don't, want, I don't want to be overly specific and say something that's not true. It mentions God on his own three times. It mentions our Father. It mentions Lord, the Lordship of the Lord twice. It, it mentions seven messianic references. That is, it mentions God's Son, the, specifically saying his son, then son of David, which is a messianic title, then son of God, which is a messianic title, then Christ, which is the technical Greek term for the Messiah, four times. And then it tells us that we are tasked in the gospel with, through the, from the prophets of old, through the apostles of the new time, about the authority of Jesus to Bring about the obedience of faith amongst all the nations. This seven verses mentions the authority of God 16 times. 16 references to God's authority given to Jesus. And most of them explicitly about the fact that Jesus is the location of that authority. He is the Messiah. He is the anointed one who is chosen to be the king who is representative of the body of God's people. He is the head of that body. He is the king. And I want to read as we think about taking the gospel out to the nations in the name of King Jesus who bring about the obedience of the nations. I want to read you these words from Charles Spurgeon. These are the last paragraphs of the last sermon he preached. He preached some 3,600 sermons and wrote 49 volumes of writing about the, about the Bible. One of the, said to be, uh, at least when I read this 25 years ago, he was said to have been the most prolific human in history in writing. And these are the last paragraphs of his preaching. He said, what I have to say lastly is this. How greatly I desire that you are not yet enlisted, that you who are not yet enlisted in my Lord's band would come to him because you see what a kind and gracious Lord he is. Young men, if you could see our captain, you would down on your knees and beg him to let you enter the ranks of those who follow him. It is heaven to serve Jesus. 
I am a recruiting sergeant, and I would fain find a few recruits at this moment. Every man must serve somebody. We have no choice as to that fact. Those who have no master are slaves to themselves. Depend upon it, you will either serve Satan or Christ, either self or the Savior. You will find sin, self, Satan, and the world to be hard masters. But if you wear the livery of Christ, you will find him so meek and lowly of heart that you will find rest unto your souls. He is the most magnanimous of captains. There never was his like amongst the choicest of princes. He is always to be found in the thickest part of the battle. When the wind blows cold, he always takes the bleak side of the hill. The heaviest end of the cross lies ever on his shoulders. If he bids us carry a burden, he carries it also. If there is anything that is gracious, generous, kind, and tender, yea, lavish, and superabundant in love, you find it, always find it in him. These 40 years and more have I served him, blessed be his name, and I have had nothing but love from him. I would be glad to continue yet another 40 years in the same dear service here below, if it so pleased him. His service is life, peace, and joy. Oh, that you would enter on it at once. God help you to enlist under the banner of Jesus even this day. Amen. I think that those are some of the most wonderful words I have ever read. And I remember my, my roommate in college used to quote them to me regularly. He just would start. <laughs> I, can, I, I texted him yesterday a piece of that passage and he wrote back, little prayer hands emoji. Um, he just would launch into, he is the most magnanimous of captains. Because it is so wonderful to think about how good God is to us. If you have to be a slave to someone, thank God it is Jesus. And thank God that you get to be a slave to Jesus. You know that's what Paul says, first, things in this, first thing in this passage. Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ. I've started here with a little bit of application by reading this passage because the text itself is really focused on the fact that Jesus is the commander. He is the chief. He is the Messiah. He is the king. He is the Lord of lords. And that is the heart of what Paul calls the gospel. It is the gospel for you individually, and it is the gospel for all the nations. I want to tell you this morning that God aims to call the earth under his banner. And then I want to point out that, there is, that, that such is our message. And I want to point out that we have to live under that authority ourselves if we are to call others to it. So a major application of this text in Romans 1 is to say, Believer, obey the Lord, obey his word, submit to it, get under it, be the slave of Christ. But I also want to show you at the end of this text, it says that the gospel is designed by God for his loving call of you. He has called you because he loves you. He has called you to be his saints, it says. 
People he loves, he has set aside because he wants you to be his holy people. So God's authority is not in contrast to his kindness. His authority is your benefit. Now, I want to pause a second because it is very possible that somebody already heard me say that the gospel is obedience to the authority of God and says that is not the gospel. The gospel is the death and resurrection of Jesus, the forgiveness of our sins on the cross, putting faith in him, and it is absolutely 100% not salvation by works. And I want to agree with you. Salvation is not by works. We read in Romans 3, by the works of the flesh shall no by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But Paul says the gospel of God is that Jesus was declared, Jesus was found to be the son of David according to the flesh. He was declared to be the son of God by power in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the spirit of holiness. That he proves that he is the Messiah. The point there is that he is saying the announcement of the kingship of Jesus is the gospel. That's what the word meant to the Romans before it was ever used in the New Testament. It meant the announcement of Caesar. When Caesar would uh, take to a, new, a new Caesar to the throne, they would announce the gospel of Caesar because he was born that day as a god, bringing peace to the world and taking his throne. Uh, that's what the word, you find that word in, in Isaiah where we read, how beautiful are the feet on the side of the mountains are the ones who brings good news, who brings the gospel, it says in the Greek version. Announcing to Zion, your God reigns. So the reigning of the king is the technical original meaning of the word gospel. It does biblically include the death and resurrection of Jesus and the payment for sins. It is true that you are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to no credit of your works. But you are saved, as Phil told us last week, for his workmanship, which he caused before, he set up beforehand, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared in advance that we should walk in them, in Ephesians 2. You are saved by grace so that you can exhibit his law. His law. Now, I'm not talking about the law of Moses, but the principle behind the law of Moses never died. It's still true. We call it the law of Christ, and it's still in effect. You still shall not kill, shall not steal, shall not commit adultery, you know, right? The, the, we, are, we have that affirmed for us in the Bible, and that's still the law, and it's still your job to follow those things because you're free. You know, there is therefore now no condemnation. I'm going to get this in because I, right? You got this stung out from under me. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what? So what's the benefit of that? Because sin cannot curse you. Because he has taken it out of the way at the cross. Guess what happens when you encounter the law? An innocent person full of the Holy Spirit's power, comes to the law. And guess what the law does? It grants you life. 
The law itself says, if you will follow these things, you will live. And that's what Paul's argument is in Romans 8. That the law can only give life. Now, I'm not saying the law is saving you, because you're already saved by the Spirit. You're already given freedom and innocence. But when you come to the law, it just hands life to you. It cannot hand you a verdict of death. It can only hand you a verdict of life. The law is a thing to love if you are a Christian. Uh, just a confirmation here of what I'm saying. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. And I'll be more forceful if I quote from the NIV instead. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, offspring of David, this is my gospel. So that's exactly the same thing he said in Romans 1. What are the two points? Son of David, raised from the dead. This is my gospel. So if I say gospel and I don't include the whole mechanism of salvation by grace, you'll understand that that's a Bible thing to do. But we can also say we know that's involved, right? So that's also a Bible thing to do. It's a little more complicated than we like to make it sometimes. Anyway, if we are to preach the slavery of the Christian to the Lord, and if we are to take that as a message of goodness to the world, of gospel, a, a, a singer that I really enjoy hearing um, is also a Christian minister. I, I value he, that he says that announcing the gospel to the world is announcing the terms of surrender. The war is already won. The king is already installed, like Psalm 2 says. I have set my holy king on Zion. I've installed him on the holy hill. Kings of the earth can laugh all they want. I'm in heaven mocking them because I've installed my king. And I tell them to watch out for his wrath, Psalm 2 says. Psalm 2 says to the Davidic son, Today you are my son, today I have begotten you. Ask of me. And I will give you what? What is the promise to the Son? I will give you the ends of the earth as your inheritance. That's what Romans 1 says. We are to bring about the obedience of all the nations. I was kind of raised in an idea that the gospel might fail. You know, we should work really hard. But at the end, it was the days were going to grow darker and darker. And then we would be rescued days ex machina by this sudden rapture and we would all be taken away from how hellish the world had become. The Bible says that if the Son of God asks for it, he gets all the nations as his inheritance. And Paul says, I seem to remember Jesus ascending on high into the clouds saying, now all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That means he asked for it. And what did God say? He said to Jesus, you say to those disciples, go therefore into all the earth, baptizing all the nations, discipling them, telling them to obey all that I have commanded you. I know I have some pieces mixed around, but that's what he said. 
He said, disciple the nations, tell them to obey me because I have all authority. <coughs> Jesus is the winner and he is a good, he is a good king. So what I'm saying is if we are to take the gospel to the nations and tell them, if you were to tell your coworker or your neighbor or your family member or your friend that Jesus is the king and he is worth serving, then you need to exhibit that as well. And that I mean, that's an invitation to peace. That is not a threat. That's an invitation to happiness. You know, I, I, I thought in my head, you know, this is like selling something that sounds like it's a contradiction. Well, we're going to have slavery, but it's going to be fun. <laughs> and, I, and I thought, it's, it's not that it's not slavery. It is. It's just that no one has known slavery to goodness before outside of Jesus. That's why it's not comprehensible, because the word slavery usually is attached to drudgery, misery, and evil. But slavery to goodness and grace is a good thing. And if they hear that we are going to be restrained by a law, that there's a list of do's and don'ts. I remember sitting in my 10th grade Algebra 2 class and hearing a girl say, I don't like the Bible. I think it's just a bunch of do's and don'ts. I don't remember what happened after that, but I, it cemented in my mind that people out there think the Bible is merely a list of do's and don'ts. It's because they don't know what it says. Don't harm yourself. Don't run to destruction. Do find life. Some do's and don'ts I think we could all agree on. I remembered thinking that Psalm 119, the great encomium of the law, 176 verses of praise for God's law, that it had some verses in there that said that the restriction of the law brings freedom. So I went and looked for them. Here they are. There's three of them. I will run in the way of your commandments, for you have set my heart free. And I shall walk in a wide place, for I have sought your precepts. I have seen a limit to all perfection, but your commandment is exceedingly broad. And I read and I took some notes about what Psalm 119 says are the benefits of following God's law. You know, it says three times it brings freedom. But at least 16 times it says it brings pleasure. In the way of your testimonies, I delight as much as in all riches. Your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. For I find my delight in your commandments, which I love. The, wicked, the wicked one's heart is unfeeling like fat, but 
I delight in your law. The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. Let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. Why do I want to live? I want to live so I can obey your law. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I would have died of depression if I didn't have your law to pull me out of it with its pleasure. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. Therefore, I love your commandments above gold, above fine gold. Your testimonies are wonderful. Therefore, my soul keeps them. Trouble and anguish have found me out, but your commandments are my delight. I rejoice at your word like one who finds great spoil. My soul keeps your testimonies. I love them exceedingly. I long for your salvation, O Lord, and your law is my delight. I mean, it sounds like he's just, it sounds like he's, I'm sure this is more than one author maybe, but whoever put this together, they're focused on the law as delightful, wonderful, like much fine gold. And dare I miss Psalm 1. Blessed is the man who walks not after the counsel of the ungodly, stands in the path of sinners, or sits in the seat of the scoffer, for his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. That's the kind of man who shall be like a tree planted by streams of water, bearing his fruit in due season, and whatever his leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. This is not only offered to the nations in Romans 1. Paul says that this gospel is for, is including you, you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The pleasure is yours and mine to be had. Well, I do want to think for a moment about the temptations we face in our current world. Sometimes I get nervous about rattling off a list of current ills in the world as if now here's another preacher saying the same thing again. But I re-examine the question this way. I, I have children that I have to teach every day. I have to train them in God's ways. And I have to think about their souls. And I have to contend with the messages they get from elsewhere. Things they may hear watching the carefully curated set of television things that we let them watch. And yet things creep in. We take them to the library. Well, that's not a safe place anymore, but, but we take them there. We go together to the library, and they say, did you see this in the children's section? 
So if you will bear with me, I will repeat some things that are troubles in our world today because they never cease to assault us. And I do not say them because I have a desire to lord over someone else my perfection, which perfection is not something Christians say we have. If we say we are without sin, we are liars, the Bible says. And James, wonderful, wonderful James says, we all stumble in many ways. So I bring these things up because there is one side that offers life and there is one side that offers death. Behold, I have set before you today both life and death. And what I wish to do, if you are listening and you are tempted by these things, is not to tell you that you are weird, but to tell you that you have an enemy who seeks to destroy you, and it is not Jesus. Jesus' law that calls you to righteousness is calling you to life. And the life doesn't come when you get righteous. The right life comes when you turn to Jesus. And he gives you life and trains you in righteousness. So I want to say that before I say these things so that it can be heard the right way. I wish to remind us that when the devil tempted Eve, it was to believe he could hand her good that was better than God's good. He made promises. And these promises we know were lies. But they did for a while appear to have merit. They appeared to hold pleasure and hope. This is always the nature of temptation. We are tempted because we are considering lies. But those lies hold out hope and peace. But the truth is, after following the tempting lies of this enemy, the result is that we destroy ourselves by believing such lies. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. In Proverbs 14. Proverbs 3 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Naturally, our understanding is set to question God. Question whether his promises are really true. Our way that seems right, our own understanding in these times, is to pretend that compassion is on, is on, that to be compassionate is to be on the side of forbidden sins. Today's lies promise us dignity, status, and especially safety if we will only comply with lies. Men can have babies, or that we can choose our identity as if. Whether you are a man or a woman is not a facet of God's own creation. And these things are just not true. God tells us that the very picture of the gospel is itself the union of a man and a woman in marriage. That's, that is intended because it would be repeated millions of times. God designed us to wish to be married so that the marriage of men and women all over the world 
would stand as a ready-made gospel tract. You want me to, you want me to tell you about Jesus? Behold, marriage. What a target. What a target for destruction if you can destroy that. You can confuse the people from comprehending the gospel. Temptation is tricky. I'm not saying that if this is confusing to you internally, if sexuality is confusing to you internally, that you are unwanted or that there's some that God is not after you. He is after you, heart and soul. He wants you. What I'm saying is the devil is tricky. And the flesh is good at listening to false hope from a lie. We preach the truth not because we love putting people down. But we preach the truth because lies cause people made in God's image to suffer destruction. We don't call people to flee from us because of our masterful righteousness while I go through the streets announcing the things they've done wrong. We are sinners saved by grace. And we call people in from the cold to be warmed by the safety and the truth and the love and the peace and the grace of Jesus Christ. He loves you and he is more than capable of handling your sins. He handled mine. He can handle yours. But I am here to tell you, he is in the habit of continuing to handle, continuing to help, continuing to change those who come to him. It's not a one-time fix. It's a lifelong work of God's love that will continue to help you and change you. No one ever forgave you like Jesus, like Jesus promises to forgive you. No one ever called you into friendship and acceptance like Jesus. And he is calling you to be accepted by him without, accepting, without him accepting your sin. He wants to hold your hand while he strengthens you to abandon the lies and the sins that you hold dear. And when you fall and stumble, he offers a forgiving hand again to pick you up. But he does call you to come to him on his terms and not our own. And that is freedom for you. Maybe you're a Christian already. You know the word of God. You know the salvation of Jesus. And you are still baffled by how you keep returning to sin and that you wish you could leave behind. You feel embarrassed that you have to make the same confession week after week before you go to communion. God, once again, I say I'm sorry for X. Maybe you refuse to be self-disciplined. Maybe you comfort yourself with intoxication. Maybe you're holding on to an addiction to pornography that you've had for decades. It has its claws in your heart. Maybe you delight in thinking angry thoughts about other Christians. There are many, many kinds of sins. Just, you know, picked a few off the top here. But there is only one source of freedom. And it is Jesus and his law. Your master calls you to be filled with his spirit and empowered by his grace. And to be fortified by the knowledge 
of his forgiveness, that it is deep and wide. Seventy times seven, he promises to forgive you ad absurdum because no one is capable of forgiveness as God is himself. He does insist that you come to him and stop relying on yourself or your strength. Here's the short of it. Jesus is in charge, but by his Holy Spirit, he offers you resurrection life. You can have it. And it does not come at the cost of being perfect, for we all stumble in many ways. But it does come at the cost of controlling yourself. We don't get to decide which passages we like. We don't get to decide which causes we are going to affirm in Jesus' name. We have to say, well, what the Bible says, I will go with it. I will take what abuse comes from following Scripture. You have to cede control to his wisdom and his way. Again, I don't mean you can get his gift of life if you master following the way of Jesus. I mean you can have his power, the power for renewed life, if you accept that he is the leader and you are the follower. And that is what Paul calls the obedience of faith. Trust Jesus. Say with the psalmist, I long for your salvation, O Lord, for your law is my delight. And again, I have gone astray like a lost sheep. Seek your servant, for I do not forget your commandments. Let's pray. Father, how good you are. Keep us faithful so that we may enjoy the life that you offer. Keep us loving your commandments. Keep us praising how good it is to be yours so that when our neighbors see us, they say, ah, I want to know their God. I want to know their scripture. I want to be constrained by whatever is giving them such joy. Give us joy, God. Lift us out of our depressions. Give us your law. Lift us out of our misery by seeing the wonders of your testimonies. Fill us with life in the way everlasting. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.